Well, we're, now we're on week two of our Hebrews series, and uh, I don't know, not everyone in the room was here last week, but um, something that happens on a fairly regular basis downtown is we'll have, we'll have somebody who comes in, and, and they're a guest with us, and, and they, have, um, they can cause a disruption. Um, if you were here last week, you might know what, I was talking, what I'm talking about. Uh, we had a gentleman who came in who was very clearly not um, in his right mind and uh, was very disruptive through the entire sermon. And we had a group of men that were watching and, and a part of making sure that we were safe, um, but it still causes a disruption. And, um, you know, what I know is that there, there are things like mental illness that are real in our community, but the enemy is also real. Uh, and if last week I felt it when I saw Tony come in the room, and we know who he is, he's been around and he was very clearly agitated. Um, and I could feel it. I knew. I'm like, and I had felt it all week as I was preparing for the message last week. I knew that God was doing something really cool. And he's doing, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to me. And it's, it's so crazy that on a day like that, I walk in the room and you can very clearly, tangibly feel the disruption. Not just because of Tony, but in the spiritual realm. And I'm not one to overly dramatize those things. <laughs> But if you were here last week, you felt it. And I think that oftentimes we feel those things and we don't really know what to do. Our, uh, you know, our, our world, our culture does not know what to do with things that are happening beyond what we can see. Sometimes um, we just don't even acknowledge it, that there's another realm. There's a heavenly realm in which things are taking place. There's a battle. There's struggle. And I don't know that it's a good thing church that we don't really know what to say or do about that. And uh, we have a very limited understanding of what's happening in the heavenly realm and how that could possibly affect our reality today. Even just saying the phrase heavenly realm just makes, sometimes it makes me feel like, what are we really talking about? Well, the cool thing is over the next sermon, over these next few sermons, we're going to be talking about some of these things. Today is one of those passages of Scripture where it's going to be talking about angels, and uh, our culture doesn't embrace the spiritual or the supernatural. I think we do in kind of a uh, Hollywood style, but as far as like actually understanding and embracing that and what does that mean for us, we don't know what to do with it. Uh, it sounds it's like it's always something weird or phony. But our culture doesn't know what to do with it. Modern American culture is incredibly materialistic. And what I mean by that isn't just that we are into buying nice things, but we're, into, we're, we're caught up in only what we can see. And that's we, the only thing that matters is matter, what you can see, what you can touch, what you can smell, what you can feel. It's materialistic. It's more than just being focused on material goods. We are affected by that church. By being born in America, by being a part of our culture, we're affected by that in a way that we have to recognize. It affects the way that we see the world. Christianity, though, is not materialistic. It's not materialistic. It can't be. We believe in God who is beyond the material world. I know that that sounds like a really simple statement for someone to say on a Sunday morning at a church. But we believe that God is beyond it. He made it. He created all of this. Therefore, we believe in a world, a realm, a reality beyond what we can see. There is a creator and other creations that exist outside of our material world. It's almost silly that I have to spend time talking about that, but that's 
It's something that we have to recognize. We have to recognize the way that our culture and our world has impacted even the way that we view spiritual things. It's, it's, sometimes it feels like it's a theological reality, but the practical reality of it is sometimes harder for me to talk about or to understand all the implications of that. I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, but it's kind of a, a heady conversation. It's heavy. It's one of those things like you can sit on a starry night and gaze into the heavens and feel the chills go down your spine as you realize just how incredibly small we are. Anybody else like to contemplate those things? Just have those moments where your mind's blown and you just go, man, wow, there's so much out there. God is so big. He's got so much to offer. He's beyond what I can understand. A lot of times we want the things that we can understand. So we'll sit and watch Netflix. That was my first shot at Netflix for the day. <laughs> One of the coolest stories in the Old Testament that portrays this reality is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, this is what it says. It says, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountains, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the, uh, when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed in the, to the Lord and said, Please strike the pe- this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. This is one of those stories that I remember hearing as a kid. Like, just in that moment, this man's faith went from something in a theological realm of, I know that there are angels, and I know that there's the spiritual realm. And because Elijah prays, God opened his eyes, he gets to see it. Just for a second, to look around and go, oh, man. Just to be blown away by what's happening in a realm that he couldn't see. The story is really cool. Elisha asked them there, blinded. I mean, can you imagine being that army? <laughs> and he does this kind of Jedi mind trick thing. He's like, These are not, this is not the place you're looking for. <laughs> but he does it in reality, the spiritual power of God. Points them in another direction. And when the king of Syria finds out what happened, you know what he did? He said, yeah, we're not going to fight that guy anymore. <laughs> it's like, who, who can do that? God. Who can do that? God has the power to do that. Our world and our culture have a bent towards only what we can see. Thomas Jefferson he was our, one of our founders. He, he's the principal writer of the Declaration of Independence and our third president. You think he had a little influence in our country? Yes, he did. You may not realize how much he's influenced us, but he has influenced us greatly. And this was a man who was powerfully impacted by the ideas of deism, meaning he believed that God created but that God was not active involved, that there is no battle in the spiritual realm. 
he took his Bible because he believed so strongly in this. He took his Bible and he took like a pen knife and he just went to scripture and just cut out all the parts of scripture that talk about anything that's happening in the spiritual realm. All the miracles of Jesus, anything that goes against nature and science, he just cut it all out. You think that impacts us today? see that in our culture, in our world. We don't even know what to do. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. Now, there are other cultures around the world that over-focus on those things. We come to the, to the ideas of Scripture with a certain picture, a lens that we see things through. And to know what our culture believes and how it impacts us is really important. We are not even very curious about these things. I'm not talking that there aren't people who are curious about it. There are, but as a culture, we're not. We're not curious about it. We could, uh, there are things that remain mysterious, even for the greatest Bible teachers in the world, but we just kind of close our eyes and go do what we need to do. And I understand that there's implications to this for our culture. <laughs> our economy is built on supplying creature comforts. So I think in some places of the world, the enemy uses overt spiritual attack, like what we can see, you know, something like last week where he tries to disrupt. And I think sometimes he also uses comfort. <laughs> he just numb us to sleep. We're not even aware of a spiritual reality beyond what we see. We focus on things that don't matter. We focus on building a better life. We focus on having the comfort that we desire. And this is incredibly challenging to me as I spend a week thinking about the power of God in the spiritual realm. And I see in my own life, I see this lack of desire to see this. And it's hard. It's complicated. Look at how much time I spend watching TV or doing other things. And I'm like, God, would you just, would you move in me? <laughs> it's, a, it's a scary thing to ask it, but would you move in me? Would you help me? to understand these things and to, to seek them. And we don't just get caught up in the temporary things, but we understand the bigger picture. God is working all around us. He's working. There are things happening in the spiritual realm. We're not to get bogged down in trying to understand all of it. But we have to understand Church, as we come to a passage like the one that we're going to read today, we have to understand that our view isn't necessarily right. We have to understand the way that the, the, the Scripture is written. It is very, very, very supernatural. And that there is a world going on, a battle going on all around us. See, the book of Hebrews is going to push us to think about things that we rarely think about. And that's one of the great things about going through the entire book. It's going to challenge us. It's going to bring these reminders. And we may think, I don't really need to think about that. Well, we're going to. We're going to think about it. We're going to push into that. See, we're limited by our ability to see beyond the world and culture that we live in. And we struggle to understand the true identity and glory of Jesus. There's an important factor there. That if we don't understand the world and the realm that's really going on around us, we can't fully understand who he is. The people who this letter of Hebrews was written to would not have been materialistic like we are or naturalistic like we are. We've got to remember that this text is written to Jewish Christians, Jewish Christians who were in danger of slipping away from their faith back into the traditions, 
back into their ritualism, back into their ancient history. And the author of Hebrews is writing a magnificent teaching and telling them and saying, Jesus is better. He's better. He is far superior. Don't go back. Don't go back. You're falling into something that is lesser. You're going back to that which held you in chains. Don't settle for what is less. Go for the greatness of Jesus. I think we still need that message today. We don't go back. We still need to be reminded of this fact. Jesus is better. He is better. He is far superior. Don't go back. Don't go back to the way things were. Don't go back to the way things that have always been. Don't go back to what the culture says is normal. Don't go back to the things that held you in chains. Pursue him. He's far superior. He is better. Amen. Even though we may not be in danger of drifting back into ancient Judaism, we may be in danger of drifting into something lesser. And if it doesn't feel like it's dangerous this morning... If you may feel like, I'm not in danger of that, you need to pay attention. (laughs) You need to pay attention. Sometimes it's that numbing to the the reality of that. That's the first step in danger. Wake up. This is the passage that we're in this morning. It's Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 through 14. You can go ahead and flip there, and hopefully that... You've already been reading ahead. If you, if you were here last week, you know we're going to be in the book of Hebrews for 20 weeks. So I'm going to encourage you to read it, study it, dig into it, come prepared. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name that he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Here's what it's going to say right off the gate. Angels are kind of... Uh, lost on us today. But we have to understand this. Hold, hold on a second. Let me go back real quick. Last week, last week we talked about Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And what it says is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the nature of God and that he has made purification of sin. That he has, now he's seated at the right hand of God. That he's came and he's spoken a better message to us, even than the one that the prophets and the priests have spoken to us. So today, we're going to jump into what that means for us. So, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. We have to ask the question, what are angels? If you were just to think about that for a second, what do you think of when you think of the word angels? Somebody shout one out. Spiritual. What was that? <laughs> my wife. <laughs> Good answer, Kevin. <laughs> Guardian. Did anybody else? You guys are all super spiritual this morning. You didn't think of like Clarence from the movie uh, It's a Wonderful Life? Cupid? Chubby Baby Angel? Did you think of Angels in the Outfield? Any of you watched that as a kid? See, these are the kinds of things that our cultures thinks of as angels. We want to say the the right Bible answer, right? (laughs) But these things have affected our culture. We don't understand. People think that angels are like, what happened when you die and you go to heaven, you become an angel? Like Clarence and his whole goal in their eternal life is to get his wings. So he's just waiting to do enough good in heaven to 
have the bell ring and he gets his wings? Anybody watch the movie? You ever just take time to think about what it's saying? <laughs> I mean, the movie is great. I'm not trying to diss on the movie, but this is instructing our culture, and there are people who think that the spiritual realm is as silly as that. That's what they think of when they think of angels. They think of phony, weird people thinking about something strange, like dying and waiting for the bell to ring. Our culture doesn't understand it. We may talk about guardian angels. We may talk about, uh, we, we, at Christmas time, we talk about the fact that the angels came and they, they proclaimed to the shepherds and there's glory to God in the highest. And there's, what happens when an angel shows up is we have, we have the very first words out of their mouth are always, don't be afraid. Angels are not like Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life or Cupid. <laughs> They're supernatural beings that God created that have power to affect the world that we live in. They're the kinds of creature that if you see them, you better bring a change of pants. <laughs> Don't be afraid is the very first thing that comes out of an angel's mouth. Don't be afraid. That implies that the very first thing that you would naturally respond with is fear. <laughs> Don't be afraid. These are, this is the tradition that this letter is written to. People would have had a great view of angels, the power that they have. But what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus has a greater name. Last week we talked about the message that Jesus brings. The message of love, of hope, of freedom. It's greater than the message that the angels bring. The message that the angels bring was the law. The, the Jewish believers believed that the angels actually brought the law down to Moses on Mount Sinai. This is what it says, Acts 7, verses, uh, verse 53 reads, You who received the laws delivered by angels and did not keep it. Later in Hebrews chapter 2, this is a passage that we'll get to next week. It says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, it says, for since the message that, uh, that was declared by angels, that word is actually referring to the law. What we understand is that the angels, they, they, the Jewish believers believe that they actually brought the law. What we talked about last week is that Jesus brought a better message, a better law, more and greater for us. We talked about that. But they believed that the angels were important that they were ministers on the behalf of God to the nation of Israel. So angels had this huge place in Jewish thought. They were elevated. But Jesus is greater. That's what the author is saying. For to which of the angels, this is verse 5, did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? See, it says that Jesus has a greater name. What name is that? What name does Jesus have that's greater? Can I read it again? For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. What is the name? Son. The name that's greater, that makes Jesus' name greater, is son. Today I have begotten you. This author is saying something to the Hebrews. 
he's saying, Jesus isn't just like the angels. He's not just part of God's plan. He is the son of God. I've begotten you. The word begotten, how many of you used that in the last month? Even though we don't use it, I think we still understand its meaning, right? The word begotten, what happens when you create something? You make something. It's not in the same essence as yourself. What happens when you beget something? You beget something that's just like you. As humans, we beget humans, right? You have a human baby, although some people might beg to differ on that. <laughs> you have a human baby that grows up to be a human being. They're still a human being when they're babies, but you know what I mean, an adult human. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for. So if God were to beget something, what would he beget? God. <laughs> that's why it doesn't say he begat many sons. How many did he have? How many did God beget? One. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Only one. That's the name that Jesus has that separates him from every other being on the earth. Son. Son. He has the sonship of the Father. See, in the Old Testament, this is in the, in the book of Job, angels are referred to as sons of God. Sons of God. But there's only one son. It's language. Sometimes we get confused by that. But what the author is saying, and we use oftentimes in English, we'll use capital letters. So there's a capital S, son, and then there's sons. Jesus is the only son, the only begotten son. Even now, we are adopted as Tammy prayed at the end of the gathering, we are adopted as children of God because of who Jesus is and what he's done. We are now a part of that inheritance, but there's only one begotten. Does that make sense? So Jesus deserves our worship. He deserves our deepest worship because his message is greater and his name is greater. The name's son. Hebrews 1, 6 says, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. This is, again, the author's way of saying, Jesus is set apart. He's better than the angels. He's got a greater name. In fact, the scriptures say that the angels will worship him. And we see that when he's born, they come to worship. There's going to come a day when every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and heaven and on earth, that Jesus is Lord. The angels have been worshiping God from eternity past. You read the book of Isaiah, read the book of Revelation, you see a picture of the throne room of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They've been declaring that forever. We don't oftentimes take very much time to think about that. Verse 6 here is referencing Psalm 97, verse 7. It says, All worshipers of images are put to shame, who make their boast in worthless idols. Worship him, all you gods. So when it says that his angels will worship him, it's not just referring to the good guys. It's not just referring to what we consider 
God's angels. He's referring to every created thing in the spiritual realm. Everything. The phrase in the Psalms is all you gods. Worship him. There are beings, spiritual powerful beings that aren't following God's plan that are trying to disrupt us, and they too will worship him. They too will bow down and be subject to him. All you gods. That's who Jesus is. He goes on, the author goes on and says, in verse seven and eight, he says, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. And you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Angels are ministers sent by God. But Jesus is the son. We've already talked about the fact that he's begotten. He is like God. He is in nature God. As Hebrews 1.3 says, the exact imprint of his nature. That's just another way of saying son. The same essence. That the scriptures refer to Jesus as the son of God. It says it right here. How many of you go, son, oh son? Like when you have your child, you hold your child, oh daughter, but this is, a, this is a declaration of God saying that this, my son, is in fact God. He is God. And his scepter of uprightness is the scepter of his kingdom. That he's anointed the oil of gladness beyond your companions. This is referencing Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah 61, if you open your Bibles and look there. Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3. And you've read this passage before because it's a great passage. Jesus quoted it. This is the purpose that he came with. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and, to, and the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's what, Jesus, that's what this is referencing about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 61. Anointed beyond all his companions, above all other beings. That's who Jesus is. He's eternal. It goes on in Hebrews 1, 10 through 12 and says, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. He is eternal. It says that he laid the foundations of the earth. Right about now is when, you, when it seems like we should get the picture right. Right about now, and I, I can't 
Sometimes I try to read people's minds. I'm not, I'm not there yet. Right about now you're going, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is really great. It's good to hear. Glad we're talking about Jesus. Right about now is when we're like, can we switch directions or something? Can you just, can you bring that powerful message of last week again? <laughs> right about now is when as a culture, we're like, okay, yeah, Jesus, you're great. <sighs> I'll just take a moment because I feel that too. In fact, as I studied this this week, I'm like, man, this passage is really hard to preach because it's not about us. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about who Jesus is. So I sit through it and I listen and I pray and I'm like, God, how can you help us get this? Can you help us get this? That this is important, church. It's important enough that we spend time just talking about him. It's, we spend time just contemplating his greatness. The author of Hebrews isn't just trying to make a comparison to the greatness of angels versus the greatness of Jesus. He's trying to get our attention, our focus off of ourselves and look at the goodness of who he is. And just spend time thinking about that this morning. He is greater. He is greater. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the message of the prophets. He's got a greater name, the Son of God. He has a greater authority over every other authority on the planet. He has a greater kingdom, a greater rule, a greater reign, and it's forever. He's a greater power, as can be seen by the fact that he created everything. I'm sure that he didn't intend for us to do daylight savings, so, But... <laughs> He created everything. What was cool about moving up an hour is getting up early enough to see the sun come up again. It was beautiful this morning. The sun was breaking through the fog. That's Jesus. Jesus did that. This evening, if we get a chance to see the sunset, I don't know what the weather will do. The beauty of that is Jesus. He did that. He did that. He created it. The beauty of the Pacific Northwest, which I surely hope that you don't take for granted. If you've ever lived in other parts of the world, there are very few places with the beauty that the Pacific Northwest has. Jesus did that. He created that. Mount Rainier, Jesus did that. Mount St. Helens, Jesus did that. The little life that's knit together in the mother's womb, that's Jesus. I think about my little girl, knit together, created. It's not just a biological happenstance. God did that. Jesus created that. Every single one of us in this room, he created. He created that it might declare his glory. Right, Lottie? She's, she's saying amen. Amen. Church, it's okay that we just take a morning and just think about that. It's okay. It's okay that we just spend time contemplating who he is. That it would open our eyes to get, get beyond the things that we're bogged down with right now. And how many of those things come into our lives on a daily basis? Things that rob us of the ability to see who he is. We're so focused 
It's like traffic. You're so focused on traffic that you can't look around to see the most beautiful scenery in the world. You live in it every day. And it rains most of the time, so I get that. But there are so many things that rob us of that, that rob us of seeing the beauty of who Jesus is, that rob us of worshiping, not just because, oh, he saved me, oh, he pulled me, oh, me, me, but because he's just God. He's the creator of all of this. He deserves it. He just deserves it. If he'd never done any of the stuff that has drawn us to him, he still would deserve it. But he loves us. He loves us. I'm not going to feel bad. If you're sitting here and you're going, I'm kind of bored this morning. (laughs) Snap out of it. Engage your mind with the reality of Christ, of who he is, and what he's done, and the fact that he's revealed himself to us, that he's called us. It's amazing. I just can talk about Jesus this morning. As I was reading this passage, I was like, sweet. Get a message where we just get to obsess about how awesome Jesus is. He's awesome. He's greater. We'll finish the passage, and this is what it says. Hebrews 1, 13 through 14 says, And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? They are not, and are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Isn't this a cool picture? This scripture, this is one you've got to think about a little bit. This is something that's pretty cool. First of all, it talks about the fact that he's sitting. What does that imply? He's done. Okay, so first of all, he's sitting. He's done. The reason he's sitting is because his work is complete. He has made purification for sins, as we read in verse 3 of this chapter, which we talked about last week. He has made purification for sins. For all time, last week was good news for us, and I know you probably sinned this week. For all times, he's purified sins. He's sitting down because his sacrifice satisfied the wrath of God against sin, that the Father is appeased through the Son. That when that scripture in Isaiah talks about the wrath of God, that Jesus took that. His work of salvation in terms of purifying sins is complete. He's sitting down because he's conquered death and sin and the grave. He's sitting down because the Father is satisfied. The Father is satisfied. There is now a way for sins to be forgiven. There is now a way for relationship to be restored with God. Because Jesus is sitting And his enemies will be made, what? Footstool for his feet. How many of you have an ottoman? I have an ottoman. I love my ottoman. Last night as I was thinking through this, I had my feet up. Just picture Jesus. Just And who who is it that are his footstool? His enemies. His enemies. The footstool. Meaning, 
conquered. I think of the, the scripture in Romans that talks about, for now we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. More than a conqueror. And I've talked about this before, that a conqueror defeats his enemy. His enemy. But more than a conqueror, uses them for a footstool. <laughs> this is an image that our enemy, because of what Jesus has done, will become servant, will become like the Ottoman, a place to rest feet, will become slave to us. If we could just get this, every day for the rest of our lives that our enemy can't steal, kill, and destroy anymore. If we could just fully grasp that in our reality every day, even when he takes his best shot, even death has become the slave to those who trust God because Jesus has conquered it. And now death becomes the doorway to meet Jesus face to face footstool. <laughs> Sorry, Lottie. <laughs> because of who Jesus is and what he's done, even our enemies will be sent to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Last week, we had that disruption. When that was happening, you know what was happening inside my spirit? Encouragement. Because I knew I knew there was a disruption for a reason, that God was doing something. It made me almost laugh. Because <laughs> I'm like, of course. But instead of disrupting me, it encouraged me. It reminded me, God, you're doing something. If we can understand what Jesus has done then even the things that are sent to kill, steal, and destroy can serve us, can be, make us stronger in our faith, can cause us to rely on Christ more, to cause us to trust in him more. And I wish that it was going to be easy. How many of you want that life, the easy life? That's not the case. I'm sorry. I hate to say it. And I have to remind myself this. I have to remind myself, and I want to remind you, that I have to remind myself it's not going to be easy to face this broken world. We still have enemies. We still have enemies. Not Republicans or Democrats. Church. That's not what it's talking about. Not Tony, the guy who was here last week. There's a spiritual reality with an enemy, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. We face that every single day. I have to remind myself because I have to be able to walk through this broken world. It's not going to be easy to navigate this culture with truth. It's not going to be easy when your child gets sick. It's not going to be easy when you have to bury a loved one. It's not going to be easy when you want to give up and give in. It's not going to be easy, but it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. That's the promise that we have in Scripture. We know that because of what Jesus has done. And now he's sitting 
Now he's sitting. I want to encourage you this morning today. If your faith in Jesus is barely holding on, I want to remind you that Jesus is better. He's better. He is far superior. Don't go back. You're falling into something that is lesser. You're going back to that which held you in chains. Don't settle for less. The lie of our enemy tries to tell us that that way is easier. Don't believe it. Jesus is greater. Amen? Jesus is greater. He came, like Isaiah chapter 61 says, to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion a beautiful headdress in place of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that we be called oaks of righteousness, planted by the Lord, that we may be glorifying to him. Don't go back. Don't go back, church. This morning, we prepare to close the gathering. We invite the band to come back up. We're going to sing. We're going to sing about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I encourage you this morning, encourage you this week, to spend time contemplating who he is, the power that he has, that he has a greater message, a greater name, a greater authority, a greater kingdom, a greater position, that he's invited us into relationship with him. As the band plays this morning, I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive communion. We do this every week. One of the reasons we do this every week is because we want to have the opportunity as often as possible to remember what he's done. Jesus just said, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this morning, I'm going to invite you as we contemplate who Jesus is to come and receive communion. Just spend time thinking about him. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you so much that you have a plan and that you sent Jesus. Jesus, we were grateful this morning. We're grateful not just for what you've done for us, but who you are. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, you would stir that in us. God, it's beyond the words that I can say. And this morning, I pray, Lord, that if there are those in this room who are discouraged, they would remember that you are greater. They wouldn't go back to the way things were. They wouldn't go fall in with the way that the culture says is okay. That they would trust you, looking to you, knowing that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. This morning, we glorify you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can come and receive communion this morning.